Welcome to the 21st Century HR Podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt. This episode is titled The End of Culture Fit. It's an exploration of the term culture fit and a look at how that's evolved over time. My guest today is Sierra Lacani. Sierra is the Chief People Officer at Dashlane. And together we are going to riff on a Forbes article titled The End of Culture Fit and dig into our own experience building inclusive organizations. And it's going to be a very interesting conversation with some great takeaways for listeners. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by my firm, Amplify. Amplify is a boutique agency that provides HR executive search and strategic consulting services to help companies modernize their recruiting and employer branding capabilities. Amplify also hosts a new community for HR leaders called The Ecosystem. The Ecosystem is designed to bring modern HR leaders around the world together to share ideas, inspiration, and support. Learn more at AmplifyTalent.com. To episode four of 21st Century HR. Today's episode is going to explore a Forbes article that I wrote about two years ago called The End of Culture Fit. And I'm really excited to have uh, a guest with me today, uh, Sierra Lacani, who is the Chief People Officer at Dashlane. And together, we are going to riff a little bit on this idea of culture fit, you know, where it came from, what it's become, and uh, how it is actually uh, holding back some organizations in terms of their ability to build more inclusive environments. So, Sierra, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Lars. Yeah, if you don't mind for the listeners, if you can just give a, a brief introduction on uh, you and your background, and then we'll dig in. So I am the chief people officer uh, leading all things uh, that used to be called HR at Dashlane, which is a digital identity app. And this is my third startup. Previous to that, I was doing the same at a startup called Compass. Um, and I also spent a stint in between in the, the Fortune 50 world. So, you know, supporting people and building uh, processes for hiring and engagement and employment at, at all different sizes of companies. Very cool. So you've been exposed to a lot of different environments and, and you've seen scale, which is uh, certainly a, uh, a experience set that uh, when you're thinking about building inclusive organizations, it's something that really has to be embedded into that process. Absolutely. Yeah, so I wanted to really start off with the article. You know, you had uh, you had reached out to me uh, regarding the post and, and mentioned that it had resonated with you, and that kind of began a dialogue. And so I'm I'm kind of curious. I'd love to start with just your your initial kind of impressions and, and reaction when you first read that, and uh, and what resonated with you. Yeah, no. As I was saying, this has become over the past couple of years one of my favorite articles to send around. Uh, because as we'll talk about more, you always hear people say culture fit, even in Dashlane, where we've changed everything in our applicant tracking system to values fit. We've talked about why um, people are just so used to saying culture fit. So I think it was probably a couple of years ago where I tried to Google the term culture fit and discrimination and see what would come up that hopefully would be a bit more articulate than me while I was informally frustrated and on my soapbox in the middle of the workday. And I think the article covers, you know, not only practices from different companies, but, you know, really what does this mean and why in a balanced way that I've found has really helped to explain to a lot of my hiring managers and other individuals that I work with, okay, this is why uh, Ciara gives us that look when we say culture fit. It's not that she's trying to be super specific about what kind of wording or vocabulary that we use, 
Um, but it's really a topic that we should be thoughtful about. Yeah, and I think, I mean, obviously with your background, you've worked at a variety of startups, and I tend to see that term really, uh, I've rarely worked with startups that haven't talked about culture fit, especially on the recruiting side. You know, my background has mostly been on the recruiting side and kind of helping build organizations. And whether it's the interview process, whether it is the the job spec, whether it's the target profile, most of those discussions, uh, you know, at some point get to this idea of culture fit, you know, and, and why, I'm curious from your perspective, why do you think that is so kind of common in the startup world? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm interested for us to talk afterwards too about what you said in the beginning about kind of the history of this, because I've tried to Google search that and maybe I haven't been patient for long enough. So I can't really tell when did all of this start. But what I can tell is it's become really, really prevalent. And of course, if you think about basic human psychology, people are going to be inspired by others who they work with and pick up on their vocabulary. And even in companies, whether it's Atlassian that you write about in the article or at Dashlane, where we say, no, we want to do values fit. This is why. And we've trained our hiring managers on that. People hear it just so much inside the workplace, as well as when they talk with peers, as well as when they read articles, that they think it's something positive to say. And of course, it's something that resonates with everyone. You know, absolutely, culture is important. The impact of hiring someone on your culture is super important. But I do think the connotations of saying culture fit and the way that many people take that and what it guides them to actually look for in an interview process has a lot of unintended effects that aren't positive. Um, And that's why I'm hoping we can start a movement that actually catches on to get people to start to say something different. Yeah, you know, and I'm glad you drew that distinction between culture and culture fit because I think, you know, culture is real and it's important and it's, it helps kind of set the parameters around how an organization and a company behaves, right? And so, you know, the idea of culture, I think, is important. The idea of culture fit becomes something else. And I think that, you know, what we've seen, especially uh, in that kind of startup community and really beyond, it's, it's the weaponization of the term culture fit, Right, it, it's it's people using that as a crutch, using the term I should say as a crutch to not hire people who look like them and think like them and went to the same schools that they went to. And and I, you know, when I was researching the article, I was trying to trace this back a bit. And in particular, I think why it became so common uh, vernacular in the startup world is that you know with a lot of organizations that are just getting started, you know, your initial handful of hires are typically your network, right? It's, it's your friends, it's people that you went to school with, it's people that maybe you've worked with in the past. Um, your next group of hiring tends to be your friends of friends, right? Your FOFs, your FOF round of hiring, you're, uh, you're scaling and you're bringing in more people. The next thing you know, you may hit 50 people and you've got 50 pretty similar people with similar backgrounds in that organization. And then it becomes a lot harder to to kind of to change that, right? Because it, it then becomes kind of ingrained, your culture is you know, already somewhat being established. And if you're not, if their founders aren't really proactive about embedding um, and building an inclusive organization, a representative organization in the very early stages, it gets really harder, much harder to do that later on. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And as anyone who's been through the experience uh, that I have many times of you're on a team and it's time to try to hope to find your first female engineer. If there's no other female engineers there yet, 
Um, you can interview a lot and you see a lot of them turn it down. And then eventually, you know, once you can inject some diversity, other people feel more comfortable. So it's, it's very important to, to have that foundation. Yeah. I mean, and how, I'm curious from your experience, like how have you gone about, you know, especially in, in early stage organizations when you're helping them scale, you know, how do you, you know, when you're trying to build a more inclusive, you know, interview process and ultimately organization, do you, you know, did you find in your past that you, you met any resistance to that? Did it require kind of training and education uh, on your end as to why that's important? Like, how did you go about kind of setting that up? It's a really good question because on one hand, I don't think there's resistance because I've been fortunate to work with a lot of really dynamic, progressive people who they want the workplace to be somewhere that um, everybody feels they belong and they they do you know value diversity. Uh, but then it becomes that it, it's just maybe they're not HR nerds like I am, so I get that. But if you're not reflecting enough on okay, if I'm looking for culture fit and I'm not really being thoughtful about that and I'm looking for some, you know, idea of culture fit that isn't actually inclusive, but in ways that are unconscious and I don't realize that, it's going to have an effect. So I don't find resistance to the concept, but I think a lot of people don't see um, that it's worth their time to stop saying culture fit and to say something different. Um, and yeah, that's what I'd love to see change. Yeah, and I think, you know, going back to that article for a moment, you know, one of the um, companies that was spotlighted there was Pandora. And they really kind of reframed the idea of culture fit to culture ad. And it was, it was, it was, it wasn't just semantics. It was a deliberate shift in saying, okay, as an organization, you know, here's what, you know, here are our values and our values are our North Star, right? That's, that's kind of non-negotiable. That's something that we want to uh, you know, embody with all of our hires and all of our team, but from a from a culture perspective, it was they almost looked at it as um, every every new kind of view, uh, work style, opinion, uh, approach was an additive building block to the culture. And so the reframing of that, it wasn't so much saying here's our culture. How do we find people that match this? It was saying, you know, here are our values and here is our culture. And how do we build our culture and make our culture better by bringing in new perspectives and points of view? And it was just a very refreshing take on, on looking at, you know, adding to culture as opposed to fitting in culture. Yeah, agree. And it's hard when we were trying to choose our wording because we know in our interview scorecards, we do need something that easily signifies to hiring managers that we uh, understand that they want to comment on how the person will collaborate with and work with other people in the company. That's important. Um, and the word that they think of for that is culture fit. Um, and so we thought about, should we do culture ad, right? Should we do values fit? Um, what do we think the connotations of each of those are for most people? And I think as you were saying in early days of a startup, so that you make sure you don't get to 50 people who um, are too much the same in their work style and their backgrounds, et cetera, um, it can be helpful to really think about culture ad. I found that there's a bit more resistance when you're larger. And even Dashlane right now is, is pretty small in terms of our headcount. We're 145 people. But it's already a large enough number of people for long enough that when you kind of test people out and watch their expressions when you say culture ad, some of them seem to feel as if you're saying to them, okay, 
I want to intuitively look for fit. And now you're telling me that I can't look for fit and that I should look for the opposite. And I find that that makes it harder for some people to absorb what we're really trying to get at, which is, of course, we want everybody to be be able to collaborate really well with each other. We want people to live the values of the company, but we want to understand that like different people express that in different ways. And you should be willing to work with someone who's maybe not what you expected when you post this job. You know, you're human. You're going to have some subconscious idea at a minimum of the ideal candidate that might include what gender they are and what their communication style is like and where they probably worked. But are you open to somebody else if they are going to collaborate well with everyone and they can get those things done really well? And it's helpful to see managers who have had the experience of hiring or working with someone who is totally different from what they had expected and see that that still worked and that person did still uh, live the values. Yeah, and I'm curious, like, how do you overcome that? Because I think oftentimes you'll have a hiring manager that does have a somewhat set idea in their head of what their target profile is. And that may not be, you know, a man or a woman or, or a background or ethnicity, but I mean, oftentimes they'll have this this vision in their mind of what the perfect candidate looks like. And, and they'll, they'll at times lock onto that. And it really requires some, some active kind of partnership to open their mind a bit to, to kind of, you know, deviate from that profile or expand that profile in their mind. And so when you, in your experience, like when you're, when you're meeting some of that resistance, how do you help them overcome what may just be more of kind of unconscious bias on their end? Yeah, it's a really good question, and it's one where I've tried a variety of approaches, and most of the credit for that goes to you know my talent or recruiting teams, and not to me personally at this point in my career. But um, I'd love if you had a future webcast on somebody who really feels they've cracked that, because I'm not sure we have, right? So each individual is different, and it's a matter of influencing that hiring manager to open their minds, exploring, okay, why is it that you think this is the ideal profile? Thinking about managers they've had in the past, even before they joined us, perhaps they were inspired by their first manager and their first manager had these traits or that experience. And you can say, okay, that's great. Um, and then you can think about how does how do those things actually link to what needs to be done in the job and say, okay, well, what if we had somebody who um, doesn't have this trait, but instead they have that, wouldn't this still work? And we'll just let you see a candidate. And if you don't like the candidate, okay, we'll go back to the drawing board, but trying things like that to uh, just open the hiring manager's mind. Yeah. I'm curious, what, what is your, I mean, the, the technology space has really been kind of going after, um, you know, diversity and inclusion and, and especially in HR technology. I mean, I think there's $4 billion invested in HR tech in 2018 alone. And there's a lot of new technology coming out, uh, uh that's really focused on DNI and, and inclusion and belonging even. Um, what is your, do you have a, a point of view on that? Whether it's, um, you know, tools that can kind of, uh, anonymize resumes, um, or, or some of the other kind of platforms that are out there. What, what role do you think technology plays in, in helping kind of you know, move away from this idea of culture fit and really build truly inclusive organizations? Yeah, I think there's, we're at a really interesting time where there's so much innovation in this space. Um, the number of companies I'm introduced to or simply that reach out who are applying AI somehow to recruiting and sourcing and selection and masking people's names. Um, so I think there's going to be definitely a lot of progress there and probably some consolidation in the field because there's so many of them right now. 
but you still have the part of the process where people meet each other. And it's not something I would say should be taken away. It would be awkward if you had someone show up and now you've committed to them. It's their first day at work and nobody's built a personal connection. So I think it's really in that last mile where we still have the challenge of, you know, if people have unconscious bias, um, how can we help them with that? Which I think is another interesting area where there's a lot of companies trying to do a lot of great things, but research is showing mixed results on whether unconscious bias training is actually effective. Can it, in some people, deepen their biases, which now is going to make your challenge harder regarding them hiring the right people? So it's uh, something that I stay very involved and watch with interest and try to pilot different things that make sense for our size company. Um, but I'd like to see us come a lot further as a society and also to address this outside of just the workplace. Like it's, I'm really proud to be a people professional working in tech and being part of, you know, trying to fulfill the mission of our companies while doing so many other progressive things that are good for the people who work for our companies. But I would love to see us as a society address, uh, people are forming many of their unconscious biases when they're still school age, right? And um, is there a way that larger companies that have the means can do something to help with that? How can we as individuals help with that in society? Because it's never too late with a person, but it's more challenging when they're already in your workforce and they're already of a certain age um, to really be able to undo bias. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that that is, uh, that is a big challenge is that once, you know, obviously we're, we're hiring fully formed adults uh, in, in these roles and they're their background, their upbringing, their life experience um, certainly has informed their view. And if that hasn't been uh, a, a diverse, you know, kind of experience set, um, then they might not have the same perspective. Um, I'm curious to get your kind of take. When you think about the role of a chief people officer, you know, one of the things that uh, in tech specifically, I think that we've seen a movement in the last couple of years for organizations to share their diversity data. Um, and uh, obviously in that, the end of culture fit article, you know, Facebook, Atlassian and Pandora, all the companies that were featured all have their annual, uh, diversity data published. Um, and so that is a trend I think we're seeing more of, which is, which is great, but I'm, I'm curious from your perspective as a, as a chief people officer, how do you go about, you know, a lot of the conversation around building an inclusive organization is really focused on the front end. Right, it's it's recruiting. How do we how do we identify? How do we attract? And all of the you know not all but most of the conversation is really focused on that very front end of the process. And really, you know, you don't hear a lot about what you what you do once you've brought ta diverse talent into the organization. How are you developing programs to retain talent and and create an environment where everybody feels welcome? And I get last question for you is just I'm curious. How do you, how does a, a CPO, how does a CHRO kind of go about embedding, uh, you know, facets of the organization and, and, and processes and systems in place beyond just recruiting that can really help an organization, um, you know, retain and ultimately create an environment where everybody feels welcome? Yeah, no, I think it's a really good question, um, and you're right. And you you said earlier you were talking about diversity and inclusion and saying and sometimes belonging. So I'm a big fan of always, you know, saying dibs, diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Um, and I think that element of belonging is important because people need to not only join your company, but they need to thrive and grow and be happy there. 
Um, so some of the things we do as a relatively small company is to use engagement surveys, right, and be able to cut that data in a variety of ways and see if there are any groups, whether it be um, by ethnicity in the U.S., because we can't track it in France, which is one of our countries, for instance, whether it be by um, age, whether it be by the type of team somebody works on, are we seeing trends where we want to identify um, what we might be able to do to intervene or, or support an environment of better belonging. We also recently ran psychological training safety with all of our managers, um, because that's a big element of um, making sure that everyone can feel comfortable and belong and, and thrive and really inspired by a lot of uh, Google's work with Project Aristotle. Very cool. So what, tell me a little bit more about that last training you mentioned, the psychological safety training. <laughs> so a member of my team did a great job kind of looking at what exists on psychological safety and um, bringing more of the concepts together. And it was really fun to see that uh, some of our managers were aware of these concepts, had read a lot about it. And for many other managers, it was not something they were aware of or had thought about. And we saw that it was really inspirational to a lot of them. Um, but one of the basic concepts that can be interesting for people is um, just understanding kind of amygdala hijack. So if you are in a meeting with someone and you, you make them feel that they have done something very wrong, um, all of a sudden they're not able to even reason and use the cortex of their brain to think. It's a very fight or flight response that won't necessarily be so extreme that you can see it because we're in a workplace where people may sit there um, and act professional um, but inside, they are thinking with their amygdala, and they're not able to learn as much from the feedback you subsequently give them. Um, and you need to um, take care that people are feeling safe enough, both with you as a manager, as well as with their coworkers, as well as with the culture in general, um, where they really can use their full thinking abilities, and they can grow, and, and they can thrive, and feel that sense of belonging. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think that that, you know, most managers are not exposed to that kind of thinking, right? And it's not necessarily intuitive unless they're a, a, a psych degree and, you know, they, that's something that they've uh, spent time studying. So it's, uh, you know, fascinating to is it essentially kind of give them the tools to recognize when, you know, they're communicating if they might be putting somebody in that position based on on their, whatever they're communicating, like how to how to back away from that, you know, and how to maybe reframe the conversation so that it doesn't put somebody in that fight or flight position. Right. Great. Well, uh, Sierra, I'm so grateful and uh, appreciative for you to come on the show and uh, share some of your perspective on the term culture fit and the end of culture fit. And uh, what is the best way for uh, listeners to connect with you beyond the show? Uh, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So Sierra Lacani on LinkedIn um, or reaching out to me at Dashlane. So yeah, would be happy to continue the dialogue with others who are passionate about this. And uh, hopefully in five years, right, it's a webcast with a different topic and we start using a different word. Uh, I would love to see that. And I have a feeling this is a, uh, this is a topic that's going to be somewhat uh, evergreen for the next couple of years. But it's important that we're having these discussions and, and I'm definitely glad to see them. So thanks so much for coming on and adding your perspective. Thanks so much, Lars. All right. That's the end of our show. We will see you again on the next episode. And thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of 21st Century HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this or read stories from the 21st Century HR Fast Company series, go to 21stCenturyHR.com. And if you want to make your podcast library just a little more awesome, be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast platform your ears desire. 
You'll find all the subscribe links on the website. And if you're enjoying this podcast, help me get the word out. Share it with your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, and anybody that might want to learn a little bit more about what HR can do when done really well. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next episode.